The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Welcome to Minute 4, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Everything's off to a great start. We're connecting with new fans. People have contacted us about being on the show. We're officially listed on moviesbyminutes.com, thanks to Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson of Star Wars Minute. And we're making friends with fellow podcasters such as Goonies Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Lord of the Rings Minute, and more to come. Yeah, three great movies you just mentioned there. I was just thinking about I actually have a brief story for each of those, which is pretty funny. Not that their stories are funny, but that there's three movies and I have three crazy stories that I heard about them. So Goonies, and I'll just go ahead and tell you now, I guess. So Goonies, when we first rented that, this is going to kind of date me here a bit, Mm -hmm. but we rented the VCR. My parents did rented a VCR when you had to actually rent VCRs or you could rent VCRs from the, the local video store. And then we rented Goonies. And so we had it on and... It was the point where they're all getting ready to go and Cindy Lauper is on the TV kind of in the background and they do kind of do a pan of the television and they do kind of focus in on it as they're getting ready to go. But Stephanie, my sister, I think she was dinking around and wasn't maybe paying attention or I don't know really how that happened, but she convinced my dad to interrupt the movie to rewind it a couple of times so she could watch Cindy Lauper on their TV. So it's not even that she's watching it on our TV in a weird indirect way when we could have maybe just turned on MTV later on and seen her because Cindy Lauper is pretty big in the 80s. But why? Man, it was just such a bummer. It's like we're just getting into this and yet we're interrupting it to, to back and to back it up so we can watch Cindy Lauper on their TV. And then the other thing is, is Jurassic Park. I have one question for you. What, what song is it? Uh, that's a good question. I could probably sing it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to tell. I was just about to attempt it, and I decided I'm not going to go there. But I don't remember what the exact song was. But I know the tune, but I don't know the name of the song. And Jurassic Park, it was actually the first movie that I remember going to see more than once in the theater. And I skipped school to go get tickets. And then, so I could see it later with my friends. And then I was so impressed with it that I had to come back and bring my parents. It was, you know, really my dad who got me into sci-fi, science, or the science fiction genre, dinosaur kind of movie monster genre and stuff. So, you know, I'm a big fan of Ray Harryhausen in a stop motion and, you know, Jason and the Argonauts kind of stuff. And then also moved into the man in the rubber suit with kaiju movies like Godzilla and Gamera. And then there's the next step with Star Wars. And then there was an even bigger leap in the evolution kind of process, speaking of Jurassic Park and evolution. But with Steven Spielberg's CGI dinosaurs and then the kind of mix with Stan Winston creations, it helped really bring that movie to life and change the face of cinema. So... But Godzilla will be always be your favorite, right? Yeah, Godzilla really is my kind of that first movie monster that I really fell in love with. And so it does have a special place in my heart. But then the other thing is, is when I took my parents back 
to see that. There's this scene when they're trying to get the Tyrannosaurus to come into the paddock or at least to be visible to the spectators. And so when Alan Grant and his team are all sitting there in their cars and they actually are stopped, the goat is still out there trying to entice the T-Rex. And then they notice the goat is gone. And so maybe that the T-Rex got it. And then there's the goat like leg falls on top of the moon roof. And my dad was the only one. It's like he got this case of the heebie-jeebies or got spooked by it, but let out this, <laughs> you know, it's really loud in the theater and everybody else was silent. I mean, everybody jumped during that scene but his was the only audible noise at that particular time so it was really noticeable and it was pretty funny and I still give him a bad time to this day and so he'll probably be like I can't believe he just said that over on the show and now it's in public knowledge if you will forever <laughs> that he he's the only one who ever made a sound in that particular theater during Jurassic Park that's pretty cool and then as far as my story with Lord of the Rings we actually Heather here. Yeah, I knew this was a story. Yeah, exactly. So she wasn't really familiar with the books. And so she had really no clue about this whole Lord of the Rings thing. So this was really her first introduction to it was the movie. And I knew going in, of course, but when she when the movie ended, and she's really into it, where they haven't completed their journey, they haven't returned the ring, they still got the ring. It ends and Heather just in this audible, another audible, loud (laughs) exclamation in the whole theater. She goes, what? That's it? Yeah. So she didn't realize that this is going to be a multi-part three movie series. She was like, I need to know the resolution to this story right now. And it it didn't happen It wasn't an ending. You know, with all the Harry Potters, you have an actual ending to the movie. With Lord of the Rings... It just left you in the air, and you're like, what the heck? Well, they defeated the orcs and no, stuff. No, there was no ending. There was no real ending. Oh, it just wasn't the I ending that ending. she... She wanted a full-out ending, and then she realized she was going to have to wait some years... A year to, or two, whatever it was. ...to, to actually get the, the finale of that whole franchise. So that, that was, was awful. Cool. I thought that no was ending. pretty fun, and it was uh, it's a, a good thing that, you know, some of the other things that I remember about that movie. So check them out. There's some of, you know, new colleagues of in our podcast genre, so they're doing some good work. So check out, you know, Goonies Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and then Lord of the Rings Minute, and uh, say hello to our friends over there, and, and enjoy, and remember some of your favorite stories, too. But this is really Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, so we'll get back on topic here, and there's one thing that I don't think we ever covered. It was what are the reference materials we're actually using for this film breakdown and analysis in this podcast? And and so we're using Pirates of the Caribbean 4 movie Blu-ray collection. It has a release date of December 4, 2012, but it's really stamped with a copyright year of 2013. And it's really, this is actually for all those people who are really detailed and into the minutia of what we're doing, you know, who really care about the details. But we did notice that maybe there is a few seconds sometimes difference when we're timing the minutes between the DVD and the Blu-ray or the old version. So that's why I actually wanted to mention that. And then we're also using the July 2003 Curse of the Black Pearl 2-Disc Collector's Edition DVD because it has quite a few features and details that we thought could provide some beneficial content and insight to the show. And so we wanted to bring that to you, and uh, that way we can share some of the cool things that happened and, and all that good stuff. And funny thing, I tried to actually put the the special disc into the computer for the enhanced versions, <laughs> and and it's really weird. But something from t- that was designed in two thousand two, two thousand three, just has a real hard time <laughs> functioning on something that was a computer from two thousand sixteen. So that's weird, huh? Yeah. Backwards compatibility? I've never heard of that. <laughs> and then there's a couple of other things. We have a book that we're also using. It's The Golden Age of Piracy, The Truth Behind Pirate Myths by Benerson Little that was published in October 2016. And yes, I am still waiting for a couple of books that are actually about Pirates of the Caribbean movie 
they just haven't arrived yet and it's been over two weeks and it's i ordered them through amazon but they were through third-party sellers and it just goes to show you i'm addicted to amazon prime's two-day shipping because now i'm going through withdrawals wondering two weeks this is insane how could anybody wait two weeks <laughs> to get something and so they still haven't come i've been checking the mailbox every day uh but i really would like to have those you know the kind of have some backstories and cool production photos and maybe answer some of the questions that we have that we can't find online or in the, some of our other materials so that is pirates of the caribbean from the magic kingdom to the movies by jason sorrell from 2006 and Bring Me That Horizon, The Making of Pirates of the Caribbean by Michael Singer from 2007. So what do you say we get this ship moving? Minute 4 picks up with Norrington responding to Governor Swan's question, What happened here? by saying, An explosion in the powder magazine. Merchant vessels run heavily armed. The minute ends when Elizabeth takes the rescued boy's hand in hers and introduces herself. He responds that his name is Will Turner. So one of the big things that I found in this particular minute is that Governor Swan really seems to be trying to convince himself more than anybody else that pirates were not the cause of the destruction of the merchant vessel. Yeah, he seems a little, let's say, concerned about the situation going on, but he's trying to keep this brave face or, you know, this... um, you could tell in his face, he's a little concerned. He's trying to keep this brave face going, maybe for his daughter or maybe for everyone else, to try to convince him that Gibbs is incorrect. There's no pirates. It's It was the powder keg. Or the powder magazine, sorry. Heather's trying to blow stuff up. She has powder kegs yeah. on the mic. <laughs> but I agree. I think he's he's really trying to put on a brave face. But you can see the worry behind his eyes yeah. and, his, and his facial movements. So he really did a good job of portraying this kind of... Yeah, I'm really worried, but I'm going to tell you that I'm not. And we don't have any evidence that it's pirates and it's probably something else. Because he's responding to Gibbs when he says, everyone's thinking it, I'm just saying it, pirates. And so Governor Swan really is putting on, I think, on this brave face because he knows exactly what's going to happen, where this is going. And if they're really going to encounter pirates, that this is a bad thing. So I think he's trying to say there is no proof of that. It could be and maybe is a powder magazine explosion. And we're going to roll with that because we don't want to jump to any conclusions. Yeah. Is that although Elizabeth, he knows his daughter is really excited to meet a pirate and thinks that it would be pretty exciting, is that, you know, she really has this romanticized view of what pirates are. And Governor Swan, you know, obviously been around the block. And as a governor and, and, and somebody who's seen what actually pirates probably can do, you know, he really knows that what real life pirates are about and is thinking, hey, it might be exciting to you, Elizabeth, but we're definitely not going to want to meet real pirates because he knows exactly what that means for them and what an encounter would be like. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. (laughs) Exactly. So I I found this in our, speaking of our golden age of piracy, the truth behind pirate myths, I found this interesting quote that really fit or this passage from the book that really fit what we were talking about here. So I wanted to go ahead and read it. So if you can bear with me on that, but it gets maybe a little, you know, it really kind of brings the realism home. So maybe it's not something that quite we wanted to tackle with a fun kind of fantasy swashbuckling film but i thought i would go ahead and read it because it really does speak to the difference between elizabeth's character and then governor swan's character and how those two interact uh and see how and, and really how they view pirates so here's the passage from benerson little in his book 
It is a romantic image, one that has become a warm memory of childhood adventure. The lights always come on when the film ends. We can close the book when we turn out the lamp to sleep, and we always wake up from our dreams. And I'm wondering now, this is me talking here, could this be a spoiler of something to come in the next minute or two? Dreams and waking up from that? I'm just curious. I, I, don't, I can't read the future, but I have some inkling that maybe that has something to do with it. Hey, 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 we haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah, that's why I said it's kind of a spoiler. <laughs> so back to the, the passage here. But for the pirate's victim, the image was terrifying. Nowhere do we see the blood on the pirate's hands from the throat he slit to steal the pieces of eight. Nowhere do we see the stigma of murder, torture, and rape. Instead, we avoid facing this reality by turning the pirate into a fierce and friendly caricature, and even a hero at times. Some of us even imagine we are pirates, but usually pirates as seen through the eyes of myth, not cold-blooded reality. And I thought this really fit perfectly with... The, the tone of the movie gets back to what the writers were saying about how they uh, were giving us the, the movie that we wanted to see, this romanticized version of Pirates, not an actual documentary or the reality of that, which definitely would play into uh, kind of a mainstream movie. We don't want to necessarily go see. There's times for that, but this is a fun-loving movie that's uh, from comedy to swashbuckling adventure and then also a take on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride which as we played before you can hear the differences in the tone just even with the song and how that originated so yeah so it's an interesting take on that and I think it really speaks to Governor Swan and Elizabeth and how those characters see different you know how, how they view pirates differently and right. I think this is something that is based in reality for us I mean it's not just this pirate example but we have more you know kind of current even you know examples of this from romanticized people in the early 1900s you know looking at jesse or in the 1800s jesse james and billy the kid to the 1900s with people like bonnie and clyde so there's kind of this you know movement to try and romanticize some of that stuff but whenever then when you get hit that reality is when you're in the bank or you're seeing the bullets start flying or whizzing by or somebody you know dies or you see something like that happen then it really changes that and and moves it forward into a, a reality thing like governor swan probably sees so that's just kind of my take on it and I think Jonathan Price as Gov- Governor Weatherby Swan did a great job on the acting of that in delivering that performance. He so, did a really good job. And, you know, the director and writers of the movie did a really great job of actually capturing that childhood thought of a pirate in this movie. The innocence. Yeah. Childhood innocence of that. Yeah. Rather than the what the adult knows about pirates. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when as we start talking about the, the childhood thing, this is kind of leads into my next thing is, you know, when Elizabeth brushes the hair from Will's face while he's unconscious. I'm not reading too much into this. More of like she's just a caregiver. And that's, you know, it's more of instinct to brush his hair from his face. You know, maybe a mother did it to her or somebody who was taking care of her when she was sick or something along those lines, just caring for him. I see it just a little bit differently because I think it's the writer's intention to make this connection or establish a future relationship between the two characters. And although we don't know where these characters are going, but, you know, it just really seems odd to me. It's maybe odd behavior for a girl, although I've never been a young girl, so I don't know. Or nor have I been a girl or a woman. So I'm just thinking from my own perspective, especially as a kid. You know, who does that? And that's maybe it's something in that situation, but especially a young girl that would kind of do that wipe of the hair. And it seems like it's something that's been in cinema and other films before that there's always that brush of the hair. It's kind of a flirtatious thing or a caring or compassionate thing. And maybe because I haven't been in that situation or seen something like that, I don't know. 
So it just it just really looks to me like that there's maybe is some connection there or there was an instant connection between the two not necessarily have to be romantic at that stage but just a you know there is something that's linking them together. And that's kind of my take on that. Yeah, maybe because she you know she she seems to be the only child on this boat on the ship, I'm sorry. And this boy comes along. Maybe there's something there. But I still see it as more of a caregiver type. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's, you know, you know the kind of the only other child on board. You know, maybe she's looking at it that, you know, because she doesn't know him. She's probably thinking, hey, he was traveling with his family. He just lost his family. He's the yeah. only survivor. You know, he'd just been through this horrible experience. And, and who knows? We haven't seen any evidence that she has a mother yet or a mother even mentioned or seen on board this ship so maybe she lost her mother or left her mother behind in england and so that there's something that's bringing them together some similarities that are going to make a connection for them for sure right did you notice when he grabs her arm when he wakes up and grabs her arm how startled she is yeah i don't think she was expecting him to to wake up for sure yeah yeah, so she just kind of like, oh my God, you know, he just woke up and then there's the introduction. <laughs> so I think that was kind of cool that we just get his name and we don't really have any other thing. That's this, I think, coming back to building some of this tension with the, the whole start of the movie. And they're also leaving a lot to be discovered later on in the show that we don't have any idea of really what's going on here. It's just he wakes up, he gives his name, and then he goes, you know, he passes back out. And then maybe we'll find some things in the in the upcoming minutes. But, you know, we don't get anything in this minute minute for sure of what has happened or or what is going on all we have is some conjecture we have Gibbs opinion that it could be a pirate or that he believes it thoroughly as pirates and then you have governor swan in, in self-denial saying yeah there's no proof of that it's probably just a powder magazine explosion and then you have norrington saying yes you know hey it's probably a powder magazine explosion as well because they run heavily armed yeah and then you also have Governor Swan is telling Elizabeth to take care of the boy. He's also, he's kind of giving her a smile and she's looking at him and he's telling her, you got to take care, or he's telling her, you have to take care of this boy. And and then as soon as she turns away from him to go care for the boy, he he gets this face like of extreme concern about the situation. Yeah, I think because, yeah, exactly. I think he, because he knows exactly what pirates are. So I think he really does truly believe that it's pirates caused that accident or not an accident, obviously, but caused that ship to explode and the fire and all that kind of stuff. So I think he believes that and he knows what that means and he's hoping that there's no other danger there. But it's always kind of one of those things, you know, he's giving her a job to do. So it distracts her from actually thinking about what could be going on and what the rest of the crew is doing or if they're going to see other bodies, there's no screams or floating bodies around out there and he doesn't want her to see that that stuff Mm -hmm. happening. So yeah. And speaking of powder magazine explosions, as I was watching this, I really was curious of, you know, how often does this really occur? And so I did some looking into it, and, and there are numerous accounts of powder magazines exploding and causing mass destruction, and even the sinking of ships. It just wasn't in the 1700s, but well into the 1900s. And before the late 1700s, you know, like open flame candles were not uncommon on ships, and so this was definitely a potential for disaster. And as we mentioned in Minute 3, it wasn't just the powder, but barrels of rum, there was buckets of tar and pitch, as well as the wooden ship itself that were pretty flammable, so... Uh, there was all of these things that could come together to to really make a problem for igniting a ship on fire. 
And there was an instance of John Baptiste Labatt in his 1722 voyages among the islands of America said that a stray spark from the galley stove may have ignited one of the powder barrels and the resulting explosion killed 60 crewmen. Wow. Yeah, and, and then there's also even the famed privateer Captain Henry Morgan, I'm sure everybody knows him, suffered you know a, a similar setback. And it was on January 2nd, 1669, that Morgan called a council of war for all his captains, which took place on his flagship Oxford. And a spark in the ship's powder magazine destroyed the ship and over 200 of its crew. So there's definitely a precedence of this being set and these, these ships exploding. Yeah. And then I was also found another resource. It was according to Pauline's Pirates and Privateers. There are repeated and awful descriptions in maritime literature from witnesses of such accidents. They speak of men screaming in agony as they jump overboard, whether they could swim or not, or literally blowing up when the fire reached a powder magazine. Burns were not uncommon injuries aboard ships, you know, the unstable nature of the sea and all that kind of stuff that was floating around. So galley stoves were frequent culprits, as were cannons, but a ship, you know, on fire was a true terror for the men for sure. Mm-hmm. as well as boys and even the animal cargo that was on board. She also cited one witness in a boat near the HMS Queen Charlotte when she exploded while at anchor off Leghorn in the Mediterranean in 1800. And that person described the loathsome sweet smell of burning flesh. So, I don't know what... We actually took quite a gruesome turn in this whole minute oh, here yeah. from from the description of what real pirates are to actually this quote of what, what happened when a powder magazine exploded. So I guess I should apologize now for, for doing this and, and giving us the real the real nitty gritty of some of this. But yeah, so I thought there were some interesting things with that. But, you know, so it was a really very, like this very real possibility, but I don't really have the details on how often it actually occurred, especially in comparison to pirate attacks. But then again, there were no black boxes on ships. We didn't have radio. We didn't have, you know, email or any of these other types of communications, satellite phones or anything that could do long distance communications or ship to ship communications that, you know, from a long distance. So who knows, many of these could have gone gone unreported. So they could be a mixture of pirates or been attributed to one thing or another. And maybe nobody really knows, or just even, you know, the ang- the seas were angry that day, my friend, <laughs> to have a Seinfeld <laughs> reference. And and they just went down. So that because we didn't have that information, it's possible. And, you know, who really knows all the the percentages of what was what, but there's definitely a real possibility that powder magazine explosions happen, which is why uh, we have Norrington talking about that. Yeah. That's pretty interesting information. Like you said, it's a little more gory than what we're going for here, but (laughs) it is interesting. Yeah, probably, you know, most people are tuning in looking for some cool, fun stuff. And then I hit them with, uh, you know, I hit them with a bunch of nasty details from Pirate Days. So I guess maybe I should make sure I try not to do that too often. But I thought it fit really well with what we were talking about today and shed some reality on what we were talking about here. So I think it could be interesting details. But, you know, we're probably not going to get into all the gory details or the reality of things all the time. It just happens when it comes up and see what I find. But... Do you have anything else for minute four? I do, actually. Uh, When Gibbs chimes in and says, um, everyone's thinking of it, I'm just saying it. Pirates. (laughs) (laughs) You have um, Norrington over there, and he's like trying to keep everybody calm, saying, oh, it's probably just the um, powder magazine. And he seems kind of a little upset with Gibbs at that point in time for arousing suspicion and saying it's not just an accident. It is pirates, you know? Yeah. Because he's trying to keep his calm, his ship calm. So I found that kind of interesting. You know, he's like, 
trying to keep it calm and Gibbs is doing his thing. <laughs> I think that's a sign maybe of both with Governor Swan and Lieutenant Norrington at this stage that they're being kind of the true leaders. You know, they want all the yeah. facts and they're trying to keep the the crew calm so that they can actually do their jobs and no one panics. So I think that's kind of a sign that they're both, you know, leaders are trained in leadership or trying to be leaders for the crew and for their own families. Yeah, and it's just a, you know, Gibbs is, you can tell he's on his on his own thing again and doing his own thing. Exactly. <laughs> All righty then. So I think that wraps up minute four. We will be back tomorrow with minute five of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Now get me my grog. <laughs> you had to come up with a different tagline, huh? You had to come up with your own. Now, so like yesterday, now we have to have a disclaimer about people drinking since grog, <laughs> I think, is an alcoholic type drink. So now we have to say, you know, keep it to a minimum or don't overdo your grog drinking so we don't. Uh, yeah, so now we have to have a disclaimer, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean does not endorse overindulgence on grog. Well, we didn't have a disclaimer yet, so I figured we needed one for this, exactly. this episode. So that, that means we have another list going of, you know, our, our legal, we'll have to have our, our legal list posted, you know, <laughs> after every episode. It's like the fine print of the super speed reader. Pirates of the Caribbean does not endorse, you know, one of those things. So like I said, keep your horn swoggling to a minimum. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. And visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter for additional content and post-episode discussions.